Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Coding to Think. With me today, I've got Samantha. Uh, Samantha is a true technologist. She has um, worked as an enterprise architect building complex systems for some of the large corporations in South Africa. Um, she has helped her clients make best decisions as a consultant. Samantha, how are you doing? Hey, sexy. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Tell us a bit about yourself and your background. I started out actually as an IT trainer. Most people don't even know that about me. Um, I started studying information technology when everything else didn't work out for me. When I finished school, I was so tired of all of the, the scientific subjects like math, science, those types of things that I decided I wanted to do fashion design. And I was so hopefully pathetic at it. And the last thing I wanted to do was look at code. I, I just didn't want to look at a for loop or an array or any of those things. And we were doing Pascal programming and I was just like, I don't want to hear about it. I want to be like um, the people in the bold and the beautiful who design all those beautiful clothes. I want to host fashion shows. I want to be in the spotlight. And then I got into fashion design and I was so hopeless at it <laughs> that I didn't know what else to do with my life. And I was like, okay, I guess it's back to university and this time it's information technology. Mm. So I started studying IT again. Um, and while I was studying, I started working as a trainer at a computer training institution in Sunning Hill called Dynamics Training Center. Mm. And I was training the Microsoft.net um, platform. At that stage, they were phasing out the traditional DB, um, db.net. What was the old platform called? I don't remember the old. Microsoft stack though, yeah. and they were in Microsoft.net. Mm -hmm. So the traditional language, I think it was VB6. Yeah, they were phasing out, Microsoft was phasing out VB6 and they were introducing MCSD.net, Microsoft Certified um, System Developer.net though. That was just when .NET Framework version 0.1, I think was being introduced. And that was when I joined the training institution and after a while I started training.net and one of the guys I was training was a director at a software development company. And he actually, we became, you know, um, kind of geek buddies because we were both two um, nerds enjoying coding and talking about all these weird things. And the way it turned out is I was actually learning more from him than he was learning from me. Um, so he decided to hire me and <laughs> he was kind enough. And that's where my journey as a developer started. Um, I seriously got into software development, uh, starting with him. And I continued to, to code for all the different banks in the country. I've done projects as a developer for First National Bank. I've worked at the Home Loans Division. I've worked at Standard Bank for the Vehicle Asset Finance Division, building um, web applications using Microsoft.net. Mm -hmm. um, I worked through a consulting company building web services for NetBank. 
And, you know, I just continued as a developer for 10 years until I started moving into architecture. Mm. And I first started doing solution architecture at ABSA when I made my transition from developer into system design and architecture. And I eventually moved to Liberty Life um, where I completely worked as an architect. I had really good mentors um, assisting me and crafting me and molding me in architecture. I also made my first or had my first role in information security at Liberty with Julian, Julian Ramia um, mm -hmm. introduced me to information security. And that was, you know, my first, my first stint working in InfoSec. And yeah, since then I've been an enterprise architect and still am and still loving it. What do you think is the best way to build systems while having security in mind? And getting the right stakeholders away. That's where it begins. Um, I don't think that the onus lies only on the cybersecurity team. I think they're the, they're the guys that are in charge of placing the cybersecurity controls where they belong. But from an application perspective, there's so many possibilities and so many potential backdoors that could be created in the code. Now, there's many ways, in my personal opinion, um, that you could, you know, place almost call it gates, but you know, with agile development, we don't really follow um, a strict methodology per se, where we, we, we move from one phase to the next, but just somehow throughout the process, it should be, the security requirements could be placed as actual requirements, even if it's, it's an actual user story or an actual epic of some sort that gets created for placing security considerations up front. I think, um, you know, your analysts, your business analysts, it's all about awareness. The different role players need to start building an awareness of whatever that requirement is. If I say I need an application that does A, B, or C, one of the first things whoever's, you know, documenting it or designing the system should think about is, what is the potential security implication on this? Mm. So I think there needs to be a strong awareness kind of embedded into the SDLC, into the whole development process that helps, helps ensure that those checks and balances are placed. Um, the second thing I think is important for developers themselves to start understanding that hackers usually have strong coding skills as well. Most times they are developers as well. If you do, white hat hacking courses and so forth. Um, you know, you, you're actually working with code and you're coding to get into whichever system or organization it is. So I think for a developer to code with security at the back of his mind and just fully understand some of the code that he's writing in his application, how it could become a backdoor for, you know, malicious um, code entry, etc. If you code as well with the coding mindset, there's simple rules, um, frameworks like OWASP can prescribe exactly how you could do it, but you know, just avoiding stuff like SQL injection, placing inline SQL into your HTML or cross-site scripting, 
you know, these days we, we, we make extensive use of JavaScript in frameworks. Um, they also come with their potential security flaws. I think a lot of onus sits with the developers to make themselves aware of it. And, you know, even more than antivirus, sometimes the way people code homegrown applications or apps, they could actually prevent a lot of the malicious attacks that happens. Mm. Once you drive that awareness and make it a practice, I don't think you can go wrong. Yeah. What are some of the mental models you use to help you deal with complexity or even principles that you follow? You know, when you're an architect, you try to look at it holistically. You try to get a holistic view of the problem. Um, and we, if we're speaking about complexity, for me, it doesn't make a difference whether it's a small um, feature that we're introducing or whether it's a, a, a brand new system um, or a mobile app version of something that already exists. Mm. I think when you start from the beginning, it always helps you, you know, so to get the holistic view of exactly what it is you're trying to achieve always makes it easier. Now, with or without enterprise architect frameworks, there's just a certain kind of logical thinking process you could follow to help you dissect and break down the, 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 the core areas of concern. So something I always like to do when you know I'm faced with any kind of, let's call it problem. Mm. Let's just say that it's, let, let's just broadly categorize it as problem. Mm. Even if the problem is just a small feature, mm. I would always start with understanding what is it we're trying to achieve? You know, why are we doing this? What do we want to achieve? And then I would kind of mind map, um, you know, exactly what the touch points are of this problem. So that in achieving what we're trying to achieve, we don't ignore other potential impacts that could come out of the problem. Mm. So even if it's just from drawing a circle on a board that says, this is my problem, what are the other touch points? And making a note of each touch point and then dissecting each touch point that says, okay, do I need integration? Do I need to share data? Do I need to secure connection? You know, what, what, what exactly do I need to do um, for this whole picture to be cohesive? Because what you want to get to is a point of cohesion where whatever it is you're doing makes mm. sense to that problem and everything else associated with the problem. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the, the thinking practice that I follow. I've steered away from strictly adhering to a framework. Um, although I do still love the, the Zachman framework, I feel that from all the architectural frameworks, it's the easiest to work with. And I think it's been adopted quite widely in all industries, the where, why, what, who, when type of thing, you know, starts off just as a business architecture framework, but now it's more, it's more, it's become a logical thing because it's exactly what it is, you know, mm -hmm. ask all the right questions upfront and and gather as much information as you can. You don't even need to do hectic documentation, but mm. build that, that you know, holistic picture first so that whatever you're doing ties back to something that is actually supposed to be done. I feel like complexity happens when a lot of stuff gets done without significant thought or planning. Um, 
we might you know have a workshop where business decides that they need something and we rush into this workshop and we immediately go into solution mode where you know we put on our best thinking caps and we're like ah oh, this is how we're going to do it and we put this api we need this data we need that and then you know we actually go out and build it mm. and then somebody else comes along six months down the line and says oh i heard you guys were doing this but did you know that it actually speaks to this system that does this that that and we're like no because we were dealing with Tom and Tom told us this is what he wants and we gave, said that this is what we're going to do for Tom and you know Tom didn't know about your stuff either and you know that's that's one of the ways complexity creeps in so um, I think you know always keeping the holistic mental picture and having some sort of, of logical process that helps you identify each and every core aspect of the problem you're trying to solve um, yep. helps you keep like you know like a mental track of what you're doing that's something I do what are some of the measures that organizations can put in place to ensure that um, they've got adequate data governance to ensure that they get meaningful insights out of the data that they they are keeping I've also encountered this myself where um, there's this thinking that just because there's data, you can instantly derive some sort of insights or meaning out of it, not realizing that the data has to be stored in such a way that it makes it possible for you to derive that insights and meaning from it. Yeah, so I think for me personally one of the starting points is always the enterprise data model i feel people don't understand how critical the enterprise data model is um, in fact a lot of people don't believe it's necessary because they believe developers will build the tables according to what's needed but there's three levels of modeling and the one that's the most important from in my personal opinion gets overlooked the most is the conceptual data model because the conceptual data model is what aligns directly back to business. Now, if I have to oversimplify the description slightly, okay, mm. um, if you create your, your conceptual data model, out of your conceptual data model, you will then produce your logical models. Mm. Each entity in your logical model would tie back to your conceptual model. And every single physical entity, that is the databases that the, de the developers create, every table needs to tie back in some form to one of the, the, the entities in the logical model. And mm. if it doesn't, that's one of the ways that you can, you know, um, find that you're creating that data or unnecessary data. Um, and I think, you know, having your concept, your, your enterprise data model with all three levels of modeling is so critical, but it often gets overlooked because of project urgencies or, or just the lack of data architecture in the organization. The second one is data governance at the data level. So often business doesn't understand the, the onus that lies with them to ensure the correctness and the completeness of the information that eventually lands in the warehouse. Um, and there are checks that need to be put in place 
Not all front-end systems capture fields correctly. Not all front-end systems have the correct validations. So whatever is captured is eventually what comes out in your analytics or your reporting. And business decisions are made on, on those reports. So if you've got bad data, then obviously you're making bad decisions or you don't have an accurate view of your, your actual position from an organization perspective. So there's, there, there are quality um, checks that could be placed, you know, they are from a code perspective, but more than adding those checks um, into your, your code, you know, there should be some sort of governance process through people in the organization who look at the extracts or, or look at the rules of the data and approve those rules and then that gets applied by the technology team. But a lot of it is actually a business function and that, that lives with business because they actually own their information, they own the data. The technology team only implements. So to expect them to get it right is you know um, or, or get the, the the accuracy of the data right is a bit of a, a broad ask um, so having data stewards having data analysts on board and having rules and and principles around data conformance i don't know about you tati but you know i've worked on projects when i was a developer and if I tell you some of the things I did with ETL, boy, you know, some of the, the scripts I wrote for ETL, geez, <laughs> I don't even want to mention the companies, but some of the problems that they're having could just be because of me right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> some of the stuff I, I did because it's bad enough to try and get it right from a tech perspective, but now you must Still get the field values right and it's just so much pressure on the developer and yeah. it's not even my problem how do I know how you want to see your your field mm. just tell me what you want and let me get it done type of thing you know so yeah um, there's there's this you know it, our, our roles are becoming so blended these days but there has to be ownership somewhere along the line there has to be accountability and because data is now becoming one of the most critical business assets, you know, business somehow has to step up and own and help with de designing and defining how they want their data to exist the same way that they design other products. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you are not doing what you're doing, like if you're not an information technology consultant, um, um, going in into organization as a uh with someone with uh experience as an enterprise architect and developer what do you think you'd be doing i think it would be something that adds more meaning in life i don't think that it would be a career to say i think if i wasn't doing this um I would want to do something that helps others. And for me, the biggest you know, gift you could give to somebody is knowledge. So I would try to help other people. I would be doing something that's helping people learn, especially with technology, all the possibilities that you could use it for. Um, yeah. And just get everybody on board and 
and just see everybody, you know, having a chance and, and making the most of the opportunities that's available now. I think that's what I would like to see and what I would definitely dedicate myself, my time to doing. Okay. Um, and with what you're doing now, what impact would you like to make with your work? There's um, a couple of gaps in South Africa at the moment, especially from a technology perspective, but I think we've got a lot of skills, yeah. but we don't always tackle the problem. Mm. And, you know, with, with recent, recent global situations, COVID, and even before COVID, we already had challenges. Mm. Now challenges are just exacerbated. So I feel my next step in my journey is going to be to start using all the knowledge and skill that I have to create opportunities for South Africans to find ways to upskill and earn a living. We've got a high unemployment rate, which is not okay for a country who is very hardworking. So we've got hard workers, um, but not everybody is always aware um, and not everybody uses opportunities correctly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be spending, and you'll probably see it coming up quite soon, where I'm going to be spending a lot of my time dedicated to, to building something that helps South Africans, you know, enable themselves and give themselves the opportunities that they need through technology. So those are some of the ideas without giving away too much, you know, that I'm playing with at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, either gonna work or it's not gonna work. Mm. Yeah, mm. either gonna work or it won't work, but um, eventually we don't, we can't just continue, you know, just using all these skills for, for a day job. I, I like that. I like the direction that you're headed in and um, wish you the best of luck. And in closing, I, yeah, this, this was really great. Thanks for um, everything that you've shared with us today. I really appreciate it and making the time. Thanks. Thank you for having me. And it was great chatting with you.